All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be Acts chapter 3. We are uh, continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we're going to, uh, to jump in and take a, look, take a look at this. Have you ever had, um, you ever had a day where uh, it, it was going great, and then something happens, and your day either takes a nosedive and it becomes a really, really bad day, or something happens, and it becomes the best day ever. You ever had that, had that experience? All right, so you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get up in the morning, um, I'll, I'll get in the shower, I'll, I'll sit down, I'll take the dog for a walk, I'll come in, I'll sit down with my bowl of, uh, don't judge me, my bowl of chocolate cereal, okay? <laughs> Grown-ups eat chocolate cereal too, I love, all right, have my orange juice, my chocolate cereal, I'll be sitting over here, my Bible's here, I'm doing my Bible reading, eating my chocolate cereal. Everything's going great, and then I get in the car, and I drive down, and I get onto Route 9, I get up to the top of the mountain, and all I see is brake lights. And I know, oh, here goes this day, right? And I know the days right there, my day is going to be bad. Or you have one of those days, and it's just going along, it's just an ordinary day, and then you get a phone call, or you get a letter in the mail, and your entire day just goes from, from 7 I shouldn't pick that number. Seven to 11, right? And not just 10. These go to 11. Some of you will get that reference. All right, anyway. In Acts chapter 3, we have a story. In fact, I entitled this message today, An Ordinary Afternoon Turned Upside Down. All right? And as you'll see, this was an ordinary afternoon for just about everybody involved. But an encounter, an encounter between Peter and John and a man sitting on the side of the road Turned it in, turned that day upside down for just about everybody involved. So what I'm going to do is we're going to we're going to go through the entire chapter today. And we're going to break it up into a couple different pieces. Uh, let's begin. I'm going to read Acts chapter three, one through ten. We'll pray and then we'll dive into to what's going on here. So Acts chapter three, verses one through one through ten says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, be with us now as we take a look at Acts chapter 3 in this uh, ordinary afternoon that was turned upside down because of this encounter and because Jesus Christ was in it. Father, open the eyes of, uh, open the eyes of our mind. Let the Holy Spirit show us what he wants us to, to learn from this passage. Be with me and help me to uh, be obedient to the Spirit as, I, as I, I preach this passage. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so what we've got going on here, uh, if you remember last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 
42 through 47. And in verse 43 of that chapter, let me just read it here. It says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So while all of this was teaching, while all of this new ch- the new church was, uh, was growing, the apostles were doing a lot of signs and wonders to show that they had the authority to teach God's word. And what we have here in Acts chapter 3 is we have one of those signs and wonders that that was taking place. Um, And so what what happens here, this is a pretty typical day. Jesus was about to burst onto the scene. Jesus was about to come onto the scene and he was going to change it for everybody. Peter and John, they were on their way to the temple. Now, even though they were part of this new church, they still hadn't given up all of their Jewish traditions. They were still in the process of working out what was going on. And and truthfully, even though there were 3,000 members of this church, we saw that last week, that 3,000 people were saved, they didn't necessarily have a place to meet. They they didn't have a giant mega church. They didn't have the opportunity to buy the Houston Rockets um, stadium and and, have church there. So they still went to the temple because there there was a lot of open space for this. So they were going up to the temple at three o'clock because that's what they did. Now your Bible may say the ninth hour. That's in essence the the um the third hour was nine o'clock, the sixth hour is twelve o'clock, the ninth hour would have been uh three o'clock in the afternoon is is what that was. And so they were on their way up there and sitting outside this gate, there were a lot of different gates to get into um to get into the temple, but one of them was known as the beautiful gate. And I did some research. There really isn't a good consensus as to why it was called the beautiful gate. Um, some, some people said it was a, a leftover from Solomon's, uh, Solomon's temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians. And, um, but the, nobody had a real good, there wasn't a, a good explanation as to why it had that name. But regardless, the beautiful gate seemed to be the main entrance to get into the gate. And there was this guy, he, um, he had been born with a, a, a congenital deformity. He could not walk. The scripture tells us, as we saw, that everywhere he went, he had to be carried. And once we get to Acts chapter 4, we're going to see this guy's 40 years old. So he's been in this condition for a very long time. And so because he can't walk, because he can't, has to be carried everywhere, it's not likely that he has a job. So his job, so the way that he provides for himself is he goes, to the, he goes to the main entrance of the temple every day as people are entering the, the temple for prayer, and, and he begs. And, and one of the, uh, one of the, the things that I, I listened to this week said that part of um, the Jewish tradition was almsgiving. They, did, they read the Torah, they prayed, and they did almsgiving. And, and they did almsgiving as a way of hopefully making themselves look better in the eyes of God. And so this, this, this man who could not walk, he had to beg people for alms. He would go to the gate as these folks were going into the temple in the hopes that they would go, you know, this will make me look good in front of God and, and give him some money. So that, that, that's where he was. Peter and John were going in there. And it's very likely that as, because this was Peter and John's custom, that they had walked by this guy numerous times. That, that he was just, he had just become a part of the scenery. Yeah, you, you, um, they're down here at Walmart. Okay, I don't know. As you're leaving Walmart, you got Long John Silver over here. You got the Seven Eleven over here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. There's always a guy sitting there on the corner asking for people to give him stuff. Right? He has become part of the scenery. I don't even think people really 
think a whole lot about you know, the, what I think is, that guy's not here today. I wonder what's going on, right? That, that's the image I have. It's, it's almost like the, uh, the Reverend Campbell picture we have hanging up in the, in the hallway here, right? It, we walk past it. We don't seem to notice it, but I guarantee if I was to take it down, I'm going to find out. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, some of you are already mad. Like, he hasn't even done it yet. I'm already mad. Anyway, we'll, we'll discuss it. <laughs> that would be... All right, moving on, moving on. We're, we're going to keep going. But for some reason on this day, that the, the beggar, the, as the scripture calls him, the beggar said he asked Peter and John for something. And for, for whatever reason, probably the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John looked at him and said, hey, look at us. And the man said... The man turned to him because he was expecting to get something. And the, the, the Bible tells us that Peter says this, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And last Sunday night, we looked at, uh, we looked at how um, there were times of demon possession in the scripture and how every time that Jesus cast out a demon from one of, those, from one of the individuals that was afflicted by this, the results were always immediate and they were dramatic. The same thing can be said for this. Because as soon as Peter said, get up and walk, he reached down and he grabbed the man by his hand, lifted him up. And what, was, what did it say the man did? He started walking and leaping and praising God. Immediately, all of the muscles and tendons and everything else that goes into that man's feet, whatever was afflicted, they were healed like that to the place where he could immediately begin walking and leaping, and as a result, he was praising God. I don't know if you've ever twisted your ankle. It takes a long time to get over that, right? I don't know if you've ever stubbed your toe. It, gets a, it takes a long time to get over that, and yet this man, who had not walked for 40 years, was jumping around like he was in the NBA or something. He was leaping and praising God as a result of this. Now, of course, because this is happening, because this is happening, he draws a scene. And I'm sorry, this is supposed to be point one. I keep doing that. I jump right in. This is the miracle that the beggar experienced. And of course, because he's making such a scene, what happened was he drew a crowd. He, there was a crowd coming in and they're going, wait a second, what in the world is happening here? That's the dude that sits outside the gate and beg. He hasn't walked, like, I've been coming to this temple, you know, my entire life. My grandfather was coming to this temple. He was always sitting out in front. And now he's in here jumping and leaping and doing all of this stuff. What is happening? What is going on? And, of course, they had this opportunity. And Peter saw it and said, uh, yeah, I know what's going on. And so Peter then proceeded to preach a message. And so what we're going to look at, uh, point number two is the problem the people faced. I'm going to read, uh, we're going to read some more from the scripture. Acts chapter 3, 11 through 18 says this. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. 
You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. So Peter, what he does is he decides that, hey, I've got this crowd. I'm going to preach. That's what preachers like to do, right? You get a crowd, you're going you're gonna to share out. All right. So he goes and he, he says, hey, you see what's going on. And the first thing that Peter does is he does something similar to the sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, when he started his sermon, he started by saying, hey, y'all are saying that we're drunk. We're not drunk. Let me tell you what's going on. And this time, there, there, apparently there was, uh, the, the scripture doesn't, it, the scripture seems to imply this, is that people were trying to give credit for the healing to Peter and John, as if, as if they were the ones that were responsible for it. And Peter said, hold up, hold up. I didn't do this. This is not, I'm not a magician, all right, guys? I'm not, I'm not David Copperfield, and I'm not Harry Houdini. I don't think they knew who those people were at that time, but all right, so I'm going to just throw it out there. He, he told him that it wasn't, it wasn't by anything that he had done. It wasn't his power. It wasn't his godliness that led to this man's healing. This man was healed simply by Jesus Christ, by having faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes, sometimes I think that, that we as believers start to act the same way. That we get, we get so caught up in this and we believe that God must not have healed somebody or, or didn't choose to bless somebody because they, or, or he chose to, to bless somebody because that person had less value or more value in God's eyes. So basically, if we see somebody who is sick and we pray for them to get healed and we ask God to heal them and God chooses not to heal them, someplace in the back of our mind, we go, well, he must not have been right with God, Right? That guy got cancer because he's not right with God. Or that guy, that guy got, you know, got in a car accident because he was doing things that he shouldn't have done. Right? Even though we would never admit it, sometimes as Christians, we, we believe in karma. We believe that if we do enough good works, God's going to bless us. And if we don't do enough good works or we're not right with God, then God's going to bring bad things into our lives. The scripture clearly tells us right here that the things that happen... The, the healings that happen and the blessings that happen, they come solely as gracious gifts from God. It has nothing to do with our intrinsic value. All of us have value in, in the eyes of God. None of us are more valuable than anybody else. Our moral lives are important, but they play no part in whether or not God is going to perform a healing or give a blessing. And it's at this point that Peter jumps into his sermon. After he, after he clears it up and says, look, this isn't because I'm, I'm godly or this isn't because I got some kind of magic power or something like that. From there, he jumps into it. And the first thing that he does is he exalts Jesus. He brings Jesus to the forefront and says, this man was healed because of Jesus. And he starts breaking it down for him. So first in verse 13 of Acts chapter 3, Peter states that Jesus was God's servant. The first thing he says is Peter was, or Jesus was God's servant. And because he was speaking to a primarily Jewish crowd, 
Peter was making an allusion to the suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 52 and 53. There was, this was the promised Messiah spoken of in, in prophecy. And even Jesus, while he was here on earth, Jesus often referred to himself as the servant as well. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Peter identifies him as the, um, as the servant. Second thing he does is Peter identifies Jesus by the title of holy and righteous one. And that's important. All right? When Peter calls him the holy and righteous one, what he's doing is he's setting Jesus apart from everybody else. What he's saying is Jesus was the holy and righteous one. He is more important than any other human being that has ever lived. When we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 last year, we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 um, that, that God is referred to as holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And what that word means is that means that he is set apart, that he is, he is there, there's everything here, and then there's God. God is set apart. He cannot be associated with our sin. And Peter was putting Jesus on the level with God, which was blasphemy to these people, and setting him apart from every other religious leader. Like I said, this was blasphemy and will most certain, and even today, would most certainly cause a controversy. Right? There, there's a belief in our society called pluralism. And pluralism is the teaching that all religious beliefs have value and all religious beliefs are going to end up taking us to the same place. And I realize that's a very simplistic explanation, but, but go with me on it. All right. Pluralism teaches that there are many sources of truth and that all religions will eventually lead to the same place. The problem with that belief, though, is that it's not true. All right? it, it, the problem is, is pluralism is completely false. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say except through all of these other areas. And because we have pluralism... There are so many people that are trying to find other ways to get to heaven. The road to heaven, as hard as this is for sometimes for us to, to swallow, the road to heaven is very narrow. And because people aren't willing to get on that narrow road, a lot of people are going to fall away. Now, um, what was I going to say? Oh, this, this part, next part might be a little controversial, so forgive me. As a Baptist, I, I, I'm solely a Baptist. And as a Baptist... I fully believe that anybody is welcome to believe however they want to. I will never stand up here. You will never, ever hear me stand up here, other than Joel Osteen. <laughs> you will never hear me stand up here and badmouth another religion. I, I will not do it. As a Baptist, I believe you are welcome to believe whatever you want to. That being said, though... I do not believe that their belief system is going to lead them to eternal life. I have friends that are Mormon, and I love them dearly. I pray for them every single day. But I do not believe that they're going to be in heaven unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's hard. That is very, very hard. But unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior... They are welcome to be Mormons. I love them. I am not going to turn my back on them. I'm going to continue to pray for them 
Every single day. I have, I have friends that, that are Hindu. I have friends that are uh, Muslim. I, I have friends that are, that are all these things. And they are welcome to believe whatever they want. But sadly, their belief system, unless they believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, unfortunately, they're not going to find themselves with eternal life. All right, I want to keep moving before I get that. This is why Jesus was identified by Peter as the holy and righteous one. Jesus is set apart and it is through his righteousness that we are saved. It is only through Jesus' righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says this. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Peter, in Peter's sermon, Peter identified him as the servant. He identified him as the holy and righteous one. Thirdly, he identifies Jesus as the source of life. And it is through Jesus that we can have life. At the present time, those that are without Jesus are dead in their sins. In essence, uh, one, of the, one of the illustrations that I saw in regards to this, in essence, you buy a new cell phone and you hit the button and you go to turn it on, guess what happens? Nothing. The battery's dead. As soon as you connect it to the power source, that's when life starts to become again. Once we repent of our sins, we can be reconnected with Jesus, the one who gives us the life that we need. So Peter starts his sermon by exalting Jesus and going through all of these things. He says that he's the servant. He said that he was the holy and righteous one, and he is the source of life. Then Peter goes from that, and he starts going into it. And as, as you read through his sermon, there are different things that are interconnected. But Peter really drops the hammer on the crowd. Like he, he starts laying out his arguments to the crowd, explaining to them what they had done wrong. And he doesn't pull any punches with the things that he... These are some of the ones that I wrote down. In Acts chapter 13, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse 13, uh, Peter tells him, you handed over Jesus. You had the, the holy and righteous one, and you turned him over. Also in Acts uh, 3.13, uh, he tells the crowd that they were worse than Pilate. Because Pilate wanted to release Jesus, and they said, nope, not going to happen. You're going to crucify him. They demanded that a murderer be released instead of Jesus. You see this in uh, Acts 3.14. And Acts 3.15 says, you all are responsible for killing him. And if you continue on, um, Acts, uh, Acts chapter uh, 3.17, he tells him that you're ignorant. He calls, he calls the crowd ignorant, which, I don't know, I, I might say it, but um, he, you know, he wasn't very kind there. He goes on, he tells him, listen, you all don't know your Bible. If you knew your Bible, you would know all of these things. So he really drops this down. Um, they were the ones that were responsible for killing Jesus. They were indicted on murder charges, and there was no argument against it. There's nothing they could say. Now, thankfully, we know, and we see it here in his sermon, Acts 3.15, God raised Jesus back to life. Jesus died on the cross for us, but he didn't stay dead. Three days afterward, God raised Jesus back to life, showing that the sacrifice that he made for our sins was accepted. Peter then tells the crowd that their actions were done out of ignorance, but that God, in his sovereignty, had planned them from the beginning. All of the things that took place had been planned by, by God from the beginning. And it's through their actions that God fulfilled the prophecies 
that the Messiah would come and suffer for the sins of his people. Just a little bit ago, I referenced Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Let me read Isaiah 53 to you very quickly um, so you can see how these prophecies came to be fulfilled. Isaiah 53 says this, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he didn't have... Like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see the light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ right there. Now, after all of this took place, Peter could have just walked away. He could have, you know, th- this would have been a perfect mic drop opportunity. He could have said, listen, you are responsible for killing Jesus. You all are guilty. I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. And like a good doctor, he, like a doctor, he gave them the diagnosis. He said, here is the problem. And like a good doctor, he said, here's the problem. Now here's how you fix it. Here's what's wrong. Here's how you get better. And we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 3, 19 through 26. It said, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, those a- from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So rather than just leave them there, Peter says, 
even though you did all of this, here's what you need to do. And then he proceeds to walk through what they need to do. The first thing that he says, the first thing he tells them to do is in Acts chapter 3, 19 that we just read, Peter tells the crowd to repent and to turn back to Jesus. Right? They were in this place of brokenness, this place of guilt, and Peter says, here's how you fix it. First thing you have to do is you have to repent and turn back to Jesus. And in doing so, their sins are going to be wiped away. Through the, remainder of, through the remainder of the sermon, down through the end of the chapter, Peter gives three blessings that come as a result of repentance. The first thing we saw is we just looked at, first, sins are wiped away. In Peter's day, uh, a lot of times they had scribes. Uh, Jesus refers to the scribes a lot in the gospel. And the scribes would write on parchment. And parchment was very, very expensive. It was a a difficult process to make it. It was very expensive. And so a lot of times, what the scribes would do is they would use a special, uh, what the book said that I was reading said, acid-free ink. And so they would write on the parchment, and then if something went wrong, they could take a little bit of water and wipe it away. And and there wouldn't be any sign of of it left. But if they used a different type, then it would blend, it would bleed into the parchment. And this... um, and if they bled into the parchment, there was no way of getting it loose. What Peter is saying here is Peter is saying, imagine, he's telling the crowd, imagine that your sins are all written on this piece of parchment. And when you repent, what happens is we are going to take and we're just going to wipe them away. We're going to wipe them clean. Uh, a more modern day example is imagine I had a whiteboard up here. And I went through, or Jesus, actually I'm going to say Jesus. I don't want to be the one responsible for this. Jesus has a whiteboard. I don't know why Jesus has a whiteboard, but he's got a big whiteboard. Right? And he's writing down all of the sins that you've ever committed. Every time you were proud, every time you were lustful, every time you were greedy, every time you were lazy. All of those things that would be considered sin. He wrote them up here on this whiteboard. And you looked at it and said, wow, that's a lot. That's a whole lot. And then Jesus said, because you repented, your sins are wiped clean. And he just erases the board. There is no trace of them anywhere. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says this, Come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Peter says that the first thing that happens is your sins are wiped away. The second thing, in Acts chapter 3.20, Peter tells the crowd that repentance will lead to seasons of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. There will, be a, there will be rest for those who repent and believe. Right? There, there are some belief systems, there are some belief systems that, that believe, and there are, there are people that believe this, that in order to get to heaven, you have to do more good works than you have to do bad works. And you have to constantly pile up good works because when you get to heaven, there's going to be this scale. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get to go to heaven. But if your bad works outweigh your good works, well... So long, all right? And there are, there are, sadly, there are people who truly believe that. I got to tell you, if you are trying to constantly work and work and work and work your way into heaven, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to wear yourself out. Trying to constantly do good works to earn the favor of God, you are going to kill yourself. I don't know if you've ever had a hamster. I had a hamster once. We named it Hateful because every time I'd pick it up, it would bite me or pee on my hand. 
All right, that's why the, the hamster's name was, she would get in this little uh, hamster wheel and she would run and run and run and run and then she'd stop for a second and run and run. She was never getting anywhere. And eventually she'd get out and just tip over because she was exhausted. <laughs> Trying to earn your way to heaven is like being a hamster on a hamster wheel. You're never gonna get there. It's just not going to happen. And then, I'm sorry, there will be those, uh, one of the most painful things to experience is separation from God. One of, I, I, I've never experienced that. I don't want to ever experience that. That's one of the things that's going to make hell so bad. Not the fact that it's eternal darkness and not the fact that you're in flames that go on forever. It's the fact that there is no presence of God anywhere in hell. And even, even if we took out the darkness and we took out the lake of fire, the fact that you are not in the presence of God for all of eternity is probably the worst punishment I can think of, to not be in the presence of God. But when you repent, you are reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. And because, because you are reconciled back, you can experience the rest that comes from being in the presence of God. That's what Peter is telling them here. It is not because of our good works or our intrinsic value that earns our way to heaven. We can experience rest because of what Jesus Christ has done. Romans 8 chapter 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Y'all know this is one of my favorite verses. All right. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And let me give you one more. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Finally, the, the, the third thing that Peter says here is, finally, repentance will allow us to have hope in the, in the return of the Messiah. Acts chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Peter tells the crowd that will, repenting will allow the return of Jesus to take place. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. Peter is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 18 here. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, if you want to read it later. And he also references the promises that were made by God to Abraham when God was telling Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation. In fact, the healing of the beggar, the fact that the beggar was up jumping and leaping and praising God, that actually shows us a foretaste of what's going to happen when Christ returns to set up his kingdom. Isaiah chapter 35, 6 says this, then the lame will leap like a deer. What just happened? The lame are leaping like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Every miracle that Jesus performed in the Gospels and all of the miracles that are now being performed by the apostles through the name of Jesus were signs pointing to the need for repentance. And as we repent, it brings us one step closer to Jesus returning to set up his kingdom. They were pointing to the reconciliation of the world through Jesus Christ when he returns to establish his kingdom. Now, as we close, what started out as an ordinary afternoon quickly became a life-changing event for everyone that was there. The beggar was made whole. Instantly and dramatically, he was made whole. Peter and John shared the gospel with the crowds. And as we'll see when we get to Acts chapter 4 next week, about 5,000 men, this was a large crowd, 5,000 men put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
They went to the temple that day just thinking they were going to pray like they do every day. They had an encounter with Jesus, and the world got turned upside down. And this number doesn't even include the women and children that were there. It just says the 5,000 men. You and I, we were just as complicit as the crowd. When, 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 when Jesus Christ was killed, we were just as complicit as the crowd that Peter preached to. While we may not have been in the crowd that day, I mean, I wasn't born. I don't know about some of you, but anyway. We may not have been in the crowd that day. Our sins were just as responsible for the death of Jesus Christ as the sins of those who nailed him to the cross. But this was to fulfill God's redemptive plan and to fulfill the prophecies. It is through Jesus' sinless life, his death on the cross, resurrection three days later, and his ascension back to heaven to sit on the right hand, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can experience the peace that only comes through Jesus Christ, and that we can have a hope in the future. If you're here today and you're a believer, let me urge you to repent of any sin that you may be holding on to. Now, your sins are already forgiven. The moment that you trusted Christ, your sins were forgiven. But we still sin. And when we sin and we hold on to those sins, what it does is it keeps us from being able to experience that peace. Let me encourage you to repent of those sins that you're holding on to so you can fully enjoy the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you are not a believer, whether you're watching via Facebook or you're going to, Uh, hopefully listen later on the podcast nobody is but in in case you do um, if you are here let me urge you to repent of your sins don't leave the building today without having an interaction with Jesus Christ so that you can have your sins forgiven so that you can experience that peace and so that you can have a hope for the future let's pray Father, I thank you so much for Acts chapter 3, Lord. It it seems like a great story, and it truly is a great story of a man who is is healed by putting his faith in Jesus. And as John MacArthur uh, referenced, I, I truly also believe that the man that was healed, not only did he get his body whole, but he got his soul and his heart whole that day as well by putting his faith in you. Lord, thank you for the 5,000 people that were saved as a result of this. And Lord, I I pray that that because we took the time to go through this scripture, Lord, that we would uh, have the opportunity to know the peace that comes through through you, Lord, that we would lay down our sins um, just like 5,000 people did here. And Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that has never put their faith in you and maybe going through a difficult time and not sure exactly how to find their way out of that brokenness, Lord, that today would be the day that they would say, Lord, I've tried it my way, and my way is not working. I've tried everything, Lord. I've tried tried this, I've tried that, I've tried all of these different things, and it only leads to more brokenness. So, Lord, I want to commit my life to you. I want to surrender my heart to you so that you can heal this brokenness and help me return to your design, the perfect design that you have. Lord, if there's anyone here today, whether watching via Facebook that needs to do that, sitting here in the auditorium or going to be listening later um, via the podcast, Lord, that today would be the day that they would do that. Father, if there is any believers here today that are holding on to a sin, whether it's a sin of bitterness, it's a sin of unforgiveness, it's a sin of dependency on some kind of chemical, Lord, whatever that sin may be, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would lay it down 
and fully trust you for the peace that comes from being in your presence. Lord, help today to be a day of healing. Help today to be a day uh, of new life and new birth. Lord, we ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.